You're listening to a message from Every Nation Canberra. In this message, Nathan Ricabo uses John 5 verses 1 to 15 to talk about the miracle of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. Good morning, everyone. I want to start with a bit of a story. So a healing priest comes to a town claiming to have divine powers to heal the sick, the injured, and the disabled. He tells the townsfolk that all who are unwell or who have loved ones who are in need of healing to come see him tomorrow for physical restoration. So the following day, a large group of people are gathered with all sorts of different ailments. Scanning the front of the crowd, the priest sees a man lying on the ground and walks over to him. Everyone begins to watch very intently in anticipation. Good man, the priest says, have you come to be healed? Yes, this person replies. Laying a hand on the man's leg, the priest says, stand. And slowly the man begins to get up, and everyone is looking in wonder, wide-eyed. Now, walk with me, the priest says, slowly guiding him over to a microphone. People are now cheering and clapping at what they're witnessing. The priest gives the man a mic and asks him, what do you have to say about this divine miracle in your life? To which the man holds up the mic to his mouth and says, I still can't see. <laughs> Maybe it took a little while to get there. <laughs> Thanks, Noah. I'll be here all morning. <laughs> Over the last couple of weeks, in line with our prayer and our fasting topic for 2023, we have been focusing on the miracles of Jesus outlined in the gospel according to John. Jesus actually knew what people had in terms of ailments and really did heal people. We've established by now that Jesus performed these miracles, however, not necessarily to save those who needed saving in terms of their um, ailments, but to show proof of his messianic identity and to show and cause people who witness it to believe. Our reading today is going to be from John chapter 5 at the beginning. I encourage you um, and those of you who have brought your Bibles and your phones to turn to this chapter now. But... Before we start, I want to focus on a couple of different aspects. First, the what and the why of miracles. The what. What is a miracle? Well, a miracle is an extraordinary and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore attributed to a divine agency. In other words, it's something that happens that we can't really attribute to ourselves or by chance without you know, acknowledging some sort of divine intervention. Secondly, the why. Uh, Aaron last week shared with us the verses towards the end of John which tell us exactly why Jesus did miracles. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's open things with a question before we really get into the Bible verse. Who here has witnessed or experienced a miracle in their lives? Just hands up at the moment. Is anyone willing to share right now um, a miracle that they've um, witnessed or experienced? Cats, yeah, would you like to come up the front? <laughs> it's great. I share a lot. Um, but the miracle I want to share is actually my son is here. And it happened when it happened. No, no, no. That's not, that's one miracle. But the miracle is because he was the one. Actually, Gans will remember this. Remember when mom was in the hospital and she had the pancreatitis. 
and um, we were praying because they were they are gonna do a test on her and see where the stone is or something like that. And Nathan came. He was about ten, I think. Nathan, and he prayed for mom. And he actually, you know, childlike prayer was, Lord, I remember the prayer. Lord, let there be no stone. That's his prayer was very very specific for his lola. So the next day, no stone. It's a miracle. <laughs> Thank you for that. That is a beautiful miracle. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure many others have experienced their own share of miracles in their own lives and um, with people that they love too. Now, last week we had looked at Jesus healing the official son. And by the official's faith, we saw that his son was healed and the conversion of his whole household. This week's story is very different from the last one. And today we're going to unpack this miracle at the healing of the pool of Bethesda and see just how important it is to understand why Jesus chose to heal the particular man in the story. So I'll finally get to the reading now. John chapter 5, 1 to 15. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man, there, um, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool, and the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Sometime after the uh, last chapter that we um, had last week about the official son, we're not too sure as to when, Jesus had made his way, um, sorry, Jesus had made his way from Galilee or Cana up to Jerusalem. Here he makes his way to one of the pools near the city wall named Bethesda. This is a picture of what the Pool of Bethesda is believed to look like today. The, the site is believed to look like today, but back in the days of Jesus, it would have probably looked a little more like this, which had many invalids inside and surrounding it, uh, according to verse 3. Now, who here was reading from an NIV or ESV or NLT Bible just now as we were going? ESV. Aaron, you've got an ESV Bible. Could you read to us verse 4? And anyone else could want to read along? You might notice that there is no verse 4. <laughs> Some modern translations, such as these ones, have removed this verse as it was not found in older manuscripts that have since been discovered. And this means that it was likely a parenthetical line or a footnote or something that someone commented on these scrolls. But it does give us an important detail as to why there were so many invalids here at this pool. 
See, there was a belief that from time to time, an angel would come down and stir these waters. The first one into the pool after such a disturbance was said to be cured of whatever disease they had. So all these unwell people were just there waiting for the waters to start moving and get their supposed ticket to healing and recovery by jumping into the pool first before anyone else could. This is why the man says what he does to Jesus in verse 7, that when the waters stir up, he can't get into the pool in time before someone else steps in before him. It's also a bit of a weird response to Jesus, but we'll back up a little bit. Jesus arrives at the pool and appears to single out this one man out of all the other invalids. And he asks him, do you want to be healed? Now, as we know, this guy gets all grumpy and says, I can't get healed because no one can carry me and all the other people getting, keep getting in my way before I can even get into the pool. So Jesus simply responds by saying, get up, take up your mat, and walk. He doesn't even use the water in any capacity for this miracle. And that's exactly what happens to the paralyzed, now healed man. He gets up and he walks. Last week again, when we talked about the official son's healing, and the week before when we talked about Jesus turning um, water into wine during the wedding, many people saw these things. They were amazed, and they were in awe, and they ended up believing. But when the Jewish leaders, the, the Pharisees, see this former invalid walking, what instead do they say? They say, hey, it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to be picking things up. You're not supposed to be doing work. In fact, whoever healed you today is doing illegal work by doing it on the Sabbath. So rather than actually being amazed at the fact that this man was healed, they were just more concerned about who thought it would be okay to go healing someone on the Sabbath, breaking their man-made additions to, to the law of God. Well, the healed man, he didn't know who Jesus was at first, as we saw that Jesus had withdrawn from the crowd. So it wasn't until later, when Jesus found him in a more private part of the temple, that he finds out exactly who saved him. Now, we're not too sure of the motives in verse 15, whether to save his own skin from the um, attacks of the Jewish leaders or to actually offer genuine knowledge of Jesus to them. But the healed man does return to the Jews and tells them it was Jesus who performed the miracle. Unfortunately, but of course all according to God's plan, this only made the leaders angrier and they begin to plot against Jesus in the future verses. But that's a story for another time. It's interesting and I also think very important to note the verses that come after this passage. So you can read them in your own time, but essentially Jesus explains that the son only does what his father does and, what, and that the father has given him authority to provide judgment. So in other words, the healing that he did on the Sabbath is not sinful because it's not an independent action from God. It is in fact a statement that Jesus is saying he is equal to the father. The authority to judge humankind has been passed to Jesus, and he will have authority to execute his judgment. If that sounds a little bit scary or a little bit uh, heavy, it's because it should. Not one person is born righteous, and therefore we do deserve the consequences and the judgment of our sins and our sinful life. None of us can attain salvation through our own good works, because in the eyes of this holy and perfect judge, Jesus Christ, it only takes one sin to be deemed invalid for the kingdom of God. But how are we able, uh, not unless we had a savior, someone who was holy and who was perfect, that person would be the one who would be able to redeem us, to heal us from this sin. But how would we be able to identify this savior and distinguish him from false teachers and false gods? 
Well, we go back to John 20. We know that Jesus performed signs and wonders for that exact reason, that we may believe and therefore be saved. It was proof of the fact that he was indeed God. And by doing that, we are able to be delivered from the consequences of our sin. So, what is therefore the meaning of this particular miracle and the events that surround it? We know that there were many other miracles, including those that weren't included in the Bible. We know that God used miracles for the purpose of having people believe. So what then is our specific takeaway for this miracle today? Well, I believe it was revealed to us right at the beginning of this story. Who remembers the name of the pool or the place where the pool was? Bethesda, that's right. Does anyone know what that actually means? Yep, house of mercy. Mercy. A word defined as an act or disposition to show kindness or compassion, particularly to those who do not deserve it. You might not consider mercy to be a miracle at first, uh, but we've been talking about all these countless miracles in our worship song today, haven't we? But when this uh, mercy results in a healing, it results in a changed heart, it results in a person being chosen out of the crowd to be spiritually and physically healed when they don't deserve it, that's divine intervention. That's exactly how we defined mercy at the beginning. I believe that it was very intentional that Jesus chose to single out only one man, in this story at least, out of the many to save. It shows us that his mercy and his salvation is something intimate. It's something personal. It shows us that we are chosen by Jesus and by God, despite who we are. Out of all the sick and the invalid by the pool that Jesus could have saved and healed, he chose this man, which is a little bit weird when you think about it. This man was bitter when he asked to be healed. He was quick to blame the man who healed him when people started asking him why was he breaking laws on the Sabbath. And when Jesus revealed his identity, he also added an extra line, you may remember. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Perhaps this man's sinful life was what had caused him to become uh, paralyzed in the beginning. Perhaps Jesus simply wanted to warn this man that it was time to change his life, and it was time to believe in him, because he knew that this man needed more than just physical healing, he needed a spiritual one. Otherwise, this person who would be his savior would one day become his heavenly judge. We can see that the healed man didn't deserve the mercy and the grace of Christ, yet Jesus still chose him. Now, I want to pause for a second and just quickly acknowledge uh, a thing called the doctrine of election. Um, so for those who aren't aware of it, the doctrine of election is essentially something that many Christians in different denominations debate about how much of our salvation is attributed to our own free will and how much of it is attributed to God, Jesus, choosing us. That's not what we're here to talk about today, though. We're just simply here to acknowledge the fact that in the Bible, there are many verses and many aspects that, to at least some degree, Jesus does choose us. In Matthew twenty-two fourteen, Jesus says that for many are called, but few are chosen. And we see that here um, at the pool. All these people at the pool were here in search of some sort of healing, some sort of escape from their sickness, all from this superstition of an angel stirring up the waters. The invalid man was one of them, otherwise he wouldn't have been there trying to reach the pool. But he was trying to reach that pool, and he wasn't trying to reach out for Jesus. Not like Mary during the wedding, not like the official who traveled all the way just to request Jesus' help. They weren't seeking after God. 
and he would have stayed just like the other invalids had it not been for Jesus choosing him out of the multitudes. The miracle of healing may have allowed him to walk again, but it was the miracle of mercy that gave him a new chance at life. And I genuinely believe that God's mercy is indeed a miracle. How else could a rock star or a drug addict give up their old life unless God had given them that mercy? That beautiful testimony that Alex shared with us last week about his uh, older sister when she was a baby and the hernia being healed, even though she was an innocent baby, that still is a miracle of God's mercy. This invalid being picked out by all the others by Jesus, that's mercy. Earlier, I had asked you if you have witnessed or experienced a miracle. Many of you didn't actually put your hands up, but I think that if you are one of God's chosen, then look at your own life right now. Has his salvation brought about a change in you or a change in your heart? If so, that right there is an indication of this miraculous mercy. We live in a world that chases an assortment of things outside of God that people believe will fulfill their desires, but in reality, it's all just emptiness. It's just like the multitude of blind, lame, and sick at the pool of Bethesda trying to get to the waters first. We have people today chasing fame, chasing riches, glories, diets, and trends, thinking that this is what will give them the fulfillment in life, that this will be what makes them feel enlightened or feel healed from whatever it is they're feeling. They don't look to God, and instead they look to their own achievements of beating everyone else to the top or some other sort of escape from their lives. I know someone who told me she lives for TikTok videos and media clips of her favorite shows. It she says that it helps her uh, escape the anxieties of her life. I know another who is a, a good friend of mine who is so driven to earn money, he works 70-hour weeks across multiple businesses, multiple jobs, and he earns a great living, but he has no time to actually enjoy the fruits of his labor because he's just so focused on getting rich. All of us, however, have been like these multitudes, chasing the water, chasing the riches. You can't tell me that you haven't had a point in your life where you thought, if I just had enough money to, to buy that dream house, I'd be happy, or if I just found that right person to spend my life with, it would cure me of my loneliness, or if I had a job that I loved, I'd never feel so tired or done or dulled with my life. But I hope that's not who you are anymore. I hope that you understand that God has taken you out of this rat race, out of this desire for worldly things, and now your desires lie in the treasures of heaven. Because that right there is a real miracle. The transformation of the heart to give us a new perspective, to give us an eternal perspective. And if God has chosen us the way Jesus chose to heal this one man out of the many, then we have to think about why. In John 15, 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You might recall that Jesus, after healing this man, withdrew from the crowd um, so that the healed man did not know who he was at first. When I was studying this, I was a little bit confused as to why he might do that. Was it to say that you know, Jesus was willing to heal this man anonymously? I don't think so. Otherwise, we would... Um, he would have not gone back to him later at the temple. We probably wouldn't even have records of this particular miracle. As John had said, there are many other miracles not recorded in this book. Was it so that others could not witness the healing and therefore try to get healing themselves and miss the message? Perhaps that's true, but 
There's no doubt that someone in the crowd would have seen Jesus tell this man to stand up, and he stood up. Now, I believe it comes to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. By returning to this healed man um, without the crowd, Jesus was able to make his identity known specifically to this person so that he would be the one to declare the healing by Jesus and not anyone else. What I'm trying to say here is that we believe that we are chosen. And if we have been chosen, then we've been chosen to do something for God's kingdom. It's not enough to just live a good life and uh, a godly life, so to speak, um, just until we go to heaven once we're saved. Otherwise, what is the point of the spiritual gifts that God gives us? What is the point of this transformed heart that wants to share Jesus' love with other people? And whatever spiritual gift he has bestowed onto you, whatever circumstances he puts you in or takes you out of, it's all for this purpose, to let him be known. And that you are the one to do that. By sharing your faith, by using your gifts, that will allow people to see the goodness of God. But we have to be very careful with how we let Jesus be known. Last week, some of us gave our testimonies about what God revealed to us during our prayer and our fasting. I I didn't share last week, but I'd like to share a little bit now. So before we began fasting, I had already started to think about and plan ahead what I'd need to do during the fasting period. Am I going to do one meal? Am I going to do just a drinking fast? How can I strategically place my meals so that, yeah, I can spend time with God during mealtime, but also I won't be too hungry for the next mealtime or whatever break in the fast it was that was going to be for me. But before we actually started that fasting, I did feel some conviction in my heart. Why am I actually fasting? And to make a long story short, I realized that I was doing fasting as a religious act, and I wasn't doing it as private time of worship or dependence on God and his word. In the past, I'd previously told my friends, oh, I can't do certain things, or I can only eat with you tomorrow at this certain time because I'm fasting. And I thought it was a good way to sort of open up an opportunity to talk about God to them. But in Matthew 6, Jesus said, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I may have been making it known that I was doing something for church and for God, yes, but it wasn't quite the right thing to do because I wasn't doing it with the right heart. In the past, I thought it was good to do as a Christian because I am a Christian, but I didn't really know why I was doing it other than to look holier than thou. And that was the mindset of the Jewish leaders who questioned the healed man. They were too busy trying to keep up with religious laws which had been twisted by man, which had been added on by man, that they completely missed what those laws originally created by God were actually for. The Jewish leaders focused only on the fact that Jesus had committed unlawful acts on the Sabbath according to their man-made laws. They failed to focus on what was important, to focus on the healing, to focus on the transformation and the miracle that the, healed man, that the healed man had made known that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. That is the whole message, the main message of our entire series of miracles. So I know there was quite a bit to unpack today, but there was a lot to say. So let me sort of summarize what we've spoken about. 
Our lives should be a lot like this healed man by the pools of Bethesda. Because out of all the people in the world, in his mercy and in his grace, he chose you for his kingdom. If you are saved, then, you have received this miracle of mercy. This miracle of a new heart, of a new soul, born again as a child of God. So do as your Lord commands, and let him be known. Through what you say, through how you live, but you have to do so with the right heart. Not to show how good you are now, but to show how good Jesus is. Will you use this miracle in your life to let him be known? I hope you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day, this beautiful time to gather together and read on your word. Thank you for the miracles shown in this story, especially the miracle of your mercy. If there's anyone here who needs your mercy today, Lord, I just pray that you may soften their hearts so that they may come to you, so that they may know your grace and your salvation. And I pray that all of us will be encouraged by your message to let Jesus and to let your word be known. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You just heard a message from Every Nation Canberra. For more podcasts and for more information on Every Nation Canberra, please visit everynationcanberra.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everynationcanberra and on Instagram at instagram.com slash encanberra. We meet every Saturday at 104 The Valley Avenue, Gungahlin. Would you like to be connected to a tag group? Email us at everynationcanberra at gmail.com.